You know, and you know when she gets to the the party, she's gonna be like, "Listen, I got podcasts and shit. I gotta yeah, do. I got exactly. fucking interviewed on the way over here. Yeah. Like I got shit happening. Like you better have shit planned out. I'm not running totally. on the Latin schedule right now. Okay, this is fucking two minutes. Two minutes. Let's go. Okay, just make sure your uh, mic is uh, real close to your mouth. Real close. Real. Get some lipstick like that. on that thing. Yeah, yeah. kiss yeah. it. Kiss it, Maria. Don't <laughs> be like lipstick that. Lipstick on that thing. Yeah. Maria. So we're on a square Maria. room, so it's all good. Yeah, don't worry. Go ahead I'll and kiss you. it. You know you like that. All right, let's go. Yeah. Don't talk to me that way. Oh. oh. Damn you, man. You be careful. Yep. Be I told careful. you she wouldn't like that, Mike. How dare no. you suggest that? <laughs> <I> totally, yeah. <laughs> you know what I'm thinking, man. For sure. Okay. All right, let's go. <laughs> Good afternoon and welcome to the Hard Luck Show. I'm Steve Lucky Luciano, the certified, qualified West Side Connect, right here for the Hard Luck Show. It's a beautiful afternoon in the city of Santa Monica. And as usual, I want to introduce my co-host on my right is Chumahan, American Indian, elegant barbarian, Southern Californian, almost forgot my shit again. <laughs> but that's all right, because I won't play it out. But listen, damn, you hear my people? The hey, truth Mer- right there. You hear my people over there? Yeah, yes. that's that's what we sing right before we kill white people. <laughs> and handling my sound, old blue eyes, as always. Thank God I'm not white. Sean Lewis, certified audio professional, engineer. For the best show on earth, it's the Hard Luck Show. You yeah. heard it, everybody. Certified. Yeah. Everybody up over here, certified. No? That's Go, the hard Sean. Luck show. Go, Sean. Yeah, Sean. What? Come on. Cutting Look at that turntable. Cutting and scratching. I've seen people oh, do two turntables. I've never seen somebody do four turntables. <laughs> That's crazy. Yeah, what, what are you scratching with underneath the table there, brother? <laughs> <laughs> All right, all right. Mind your own business. Mr. Calm, Tripod. Yeah, calm down, Sean. It's too much. Kickstand. Yeah, exactly. Man, well, listen, it is a, uh, a beautiful afternoon here, and uh, we're just having a blast at the Hard Luck Show today. Um, gentlemen, today I have on a guest. Very special, special guest. Man. Oh, yeah. I just saw, I just saw a thumbs down. <laughs> Very special guest. Come on, you know that's your theme song. Very special guest. Um, and you know what? And you want to know something? We are. This is an exclusive. This is a hard luck first. Our first female guest. Oh, overdue. Yeah, well, long overdue. Long overdue. Uh, on the show, let me start by saying this is a friend of mine for thirty plus years uh this woman has uh she's she's a fabulous writer she's she's worked in the film festival business she has worked in drug and treatment counseling she is 
cancer survivor. She is, let me tell you, man, I have some people in my life that, uh, that I look to for courage. They live their lives a certain way, and they demonstrate courage in what they do and how they live. They inspire me to man up. Um, they inspire me to live courageously, and it's people like Maria Soto, who's my guest today, that's coming on that I love so, so much. And not only love, I respect and admire this woman. Such a strong, strong human being, and I derive so much power and strength from her. And it just it's an honor having her in my life. Her journey's been incredible, and it's, it's probably only a third of the way in. And she's just accomplished so much, and she does so much. And um, she's just moved me, and she's made me a better man. I'm a better person by having this woman in my life. She's constantly a huge support. Are you going to let her in the room? Or? No. <laughs> shut Christ, the yeah. fuck God up. I'm, I'm, I, this is, hey, this is my chicken. I'm fucking it, right? All right, do it. <laughs> um, um, and I just uh, got to tell you, I can't speak highly enough about her. Let's let's welcome Maria Soto on today. Maria. Thank you. Good morning. Good afternoon. <laughs> she is not <laughs> feeling that. Shut that shit. Why don't you that. like that song? Your name is Maria. Yeah. But why don't you like the Maria Maria song? I just don't like it because I'm not from the West Side. Where are you from? Boyle Heights. Born and raised in East L.A. Oh, whoa. Yeah, East Sider uh, up here uh, on the West Side. Uh, uh, get uh, ready. By the way, Mike, her, her, her Better call Poncho. Husband, Better call Poncho. Her wonderful husband, Michelangelo, has come on. He's joining us today as well. Say hi, Mike. Hi, Mike. <laughs> yeah, very good. He, Perfect. Mike is her is is her like uh, funny. He's the comic relief. Yep. Maria's the hard hitting authority, <coughs> truth revealer, and then Mike's the comedy relief. Don't right. Get it twisted, yes. man. She's hella funny, man. She's like straight up. You, you she'll get you, man. Oh, I know she will. She holds her own on comedy, man. Don't even trip. See that? Oh, she's good. Oh, man. Well, I'm starting to see who wears the pants over <laughs> here. Damn you man. see that? You see that? <laughs> He's wearing shorts right now. Yeah. Because <laughs> you ripped off the pants. Portatela. Listen, she's beautiful, man. Of course she is. Beautiful. She's yes. a beautiful woman. Essence, the queen, Maria the queen. She loves Reina, 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 Alta. Listen, hey, I gotta take her home, bro. Hey, <laughs> listen, we're trying to listen. What? So then, what's your song, Maria? What do you like? Don't bullshit I don't us. Have a, don't give you me don't no have a theme song. You're a Latina. And you don't have a song. Come on. I don't. You There's don't? too many. Okay, give me one. Make a, a specific song for me. Yeah, just whatever you like. What? I like an array of different Tell styles. me what you like, goddammit. Remember <laughs> me. <laughs> no, <don't laughs> Watch that this morning, man. Um, is I that, don't have a specific song. Is that the song, song from Coco? Yes, yeah, it is. Man. Is that what you like? Okay, I love cool. that song. Remember I have to. Though I have to say goodbye. Remember I love that song. Do you? Yes. Don't let it miss From my ancestors. For even if I'm You're such a beautiful away, woman. Tell us what, why does this touch you? Because today I is All Souls Day and I'm celebrating all my ancestors that have passed on. Yes. And I'm going to get emotional. Please. Uh, <laughs> don't, don't. By all it, means, yes. get emotional. Yeah. What, do you know what? My mother. My mother was uh, uh, from Guatemala. Her. 
Listen, let me tell you what was said about my. She thinks about her ancestors, her mom specifically, mm-hmm. who passed away. You know, rest in peace. Whatever you say, hey, stress Filipinos. But she, when she thinks of her mother, she cries. Mm-hmm. Like, so like, do I. Do you? Mm-hmm. What is it about the mother and daughter relationship in, in, in your culture that makes it so powerful and touching? Because there is no bond stronger than that. I mean, you can have a strong bond with a father, but it's not the same because you're women. So it's like you understand each other more than a father and a daughter can. You know, women go through similar feelings. um, A lot of different things, you know, we struggle with a lot of different emotions and what we go through in relationships, the mom always knows. She understands. She's it's it's a connection, you know. Um, and I'll speak for myself. You know, the bond that I had with my mother when she was alive was she knew what I was going to say before it even came out of my mouth. Mm. You know, mm. she was a strong woman, um, and I think God bless you. Thank you. Um, that's where I get my strength from, you know, from her because she was very strong and independent, but very nurturing and loving and caring and supportive, not only to her children, but to my father. Mm. So, um, you know, one thing that my brother and I always say is if our parents ever fought, we don't ever, we don't have not one memory of our parents ever fighting because they never fought in front of us. Really? Yes. That's that. Yeah. A lot of people don't grow up with that. No. So if they fought, they fought behind closed doors, outside in the garage, in the car, but it was never in front of us. Never disrespected one another. It was, you know, just something that, What's the hardest part about being a daughter and having that kind of connection with your mother growing up? Like, is it hard to, like, create your own identity? Is it hard? Like, did you go through struggles with listening to her? Of course. What child doesn't? Some don't. But, like, you're talking about a bond where she can finish your sentences. Yeah. What was the experience for you in terms of fighting, like, trying to make your own space as a woman within this powerful one. Sometimes powerful people can eat up all the air in the room, mm-hmm. right? So how did, what was your strategy in, in sort of carving out your own space? Well, my mom always allowed for me to make my mistakes, you know, even though she was there saying, you shouldn't do this, you shouldn't do that. I know from experience, um, you know, don't talk back, Um don't be sneaking out of the house and taking my car. Did you sneak out of the house and take the car? Of course. What kid did it? What did you? What, so you Come did. On. Like, what would you do? How do you sneak out of the house and take the car? You wait till your mom goes to sleep and your dad's at work. So. And did you go through the window or the door? No, we used to, you know, slowly come down the stairs and open Quietly. the door and, you know, walk out the back door, go to the garage. Maybe but push you the know car what? out the driveway. Yes, because so it was stick. So. Best friend, my comadre, used to push it out and then <laughs> <laughs> take off and go cozy down with your boulevard. 
Yeah, right on. But you know what? We used to do everything. We thought we did everything perfect. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. And then in the morning when she'd get up, she'd come, she'd slam the door and run up the stairs and be like, you took my car last night, didn't you? And we're like, no. See that already, already knowing not to spill the beans right off the bat, whether you know the evidence or not. No. What are you crazy? Oh, yes. I'm insulted you would even say that to me. I'm like, no, go, go to work, mom, go. No, I know because I specifically left the tires to the left and you put them to the right. I was like, I'm sorry. You know, I could never lie to her. And if it's one thing that, um, she made me promise before yeah. she passed away was always be honest, always be truthful because everything comes out in the end. When did so, she pass away? My mother passed away uh, in April of 1999. So it's been 20 years. What doesn't come out in the wash comes out in the rinse. Yeah. Yes. Right. You know, my, um, my mom passed away in 2001, but I was never close to her. Didn't know her at all really and i was close to my dad and he died in 2007 sorry for your loss i appreciate that what went through your what went through my mind when my dad died who was that i was the guy that that raised me right there a couple of things went through my mind one was what the hell was that all about mm-hmm. i really felt that and then the second part was um hey, this guy died earlier than he had to because he didn't know how to ask for help mm. What did you come to realize as your mom passed? Were you able to be there when she passed? Oh, yes, yes. Same here. And what did you what did you experience? What did you sense? Did you have any feelings? Well, um, okay, so my mother was a survivor of cancer as well. Okay. But she was in remission, and then it uh, it came back a few years later. So she was going through treatment, uh, but it was already too late. So when I got the call, um, like around three o'clock in the morning, you know, my dad called me and Mike and I got up and drove all the way to Moreno Valley. And um, I stayed by my mom's side as all the family would come and go every day for like almost a week. Yeah. Um, so we knew it was going to happen. Um, but I never left her sight. Um, but it was really hard for me, you know, because Mike and I, I'm like, I want to cry. Um, Mike and I were planning our wedding during that time. Um, and we had already moved it up because of the situation. we wanted to make sure that my mom would be there. Right. But, um, uh, you know, she didn't make it. So what was going through my mind um, that I was losing my mother, you know, and that I was going to be alone, mind you, having my father and my brother and we're, we're a pretty tight family. We, we come from, we have a big family, but um, she's my everything, you know? So knowing that she was not going to make it, was really hard for me to the point where um, I didn't want to get married anymore. Mm. Didn't want to get married. I didn't want anything. I wanted, I, I, yeah, I wanted to die. Mm-hmm. I mean, that's how, you know, like 
that whole week was an experience like you know people fast for different reasons but because my mom would not be able to eat I didn't eat I never left her sight you know I would clean her I would bathe her and I would just lay with her you know that that what you're talking about to a certain extent that is um cleaning her Mm-hmm. And taking care of your mom when when she spent all that time taking care of you, mm-hmm. right? And now you get to repay it. Mm-hmm. There's a kind of a, a like a ritual or rite of passage to being able to be there and to do that for your parent at that time. Did you feel that? Like, were you able to really be present and soak in that moment and be like, I know that this is it, and I got to carry this memory, this whatever this is with me, because this is part of life. I'll be honest with you. I didn't think in that sense. I was just like, my mom, like, she's not going to be here anymore. And and I cannot accept and I didn't want to let go. Um, So I, I never thought of it as like, okay, you know, now I'm going to do this for my mom as a a rite of passage you know for me or you know soul searching no it wasn't like that I was just like she's my mom and I'm her daughter and I'm the oldest of my brother and myself so it's my job it's it's what I need to do because she's always been there for us so I need to take care of her. I need to take this on now. Are you next in line in terms of like the matriarchy or whatever in your family after your mother? Are you next in line in terms of the one who's responsible in the family? Um, well, I don't know. I mean, in a sense, I would say for my family, maybe that would be the role that I take on because... Because I am the oldest grandchild. I am the oldest um, cousin out of my mom's side of the family. Um, I feel that I need to take that on. Like, I'm the one that, you know, make sure that all the other family members, you know, get together, you know, and birthdays or yeah, holidays. Yeah, that's a matriarch. Right, yeah, that's a matriarch. So, okay, so then, yeah, I guess I... Because, yeah. I mean, and I know Mike will agree with his husband, Mike. Thank God she made it through that and married you. It's has to do with your dashing good looks i'm sure <laughs> of course because a dj from hollywood yeah what else you? <laughs> but you you there is nothing about you that doesn't say responsibility there is nothing about you that doesn't say like when you walk into the room right you have a gravitas Am I wrong? Am I am I making Absolutely this shit up not. Sean? Do you sense that? From the day i met her it was like that. In the face it's like like if you need to talk to somebody who's going to be in charge, you go and and Maria Maria's going to have an answer. Right? You're going to be responsible. Let me say this much. I you know, only cuz you guys were both touching on on the mother thing. My mom passed away about a year ago. Mm-hmm. And uh you know, one thing you know, you never it doesn't matter how prepared mm-hmm. or how much notice you're not prepared for that when exactly. it comes. Okay, you can never. And uh, and and the other thing is too is that upon the initial shock or f- finding out the news, especially with my mother, it's almost like more's revealed every day, every mm-hmm. week. More things become revealed. But I, I think a couple months 
after my mom passed, I started to really um, recognize and feel this emptiness that wasn't going to be replaced. And that emptiness was this unconditional, the person that was always cheering for me no matter what. There was one human being on the planet that no matter what I did, they had my back. Mm -hmm. They were checking, like, you know, and it was my mom, you know. And when that person, you know, obviously I would imagine for myself and anybody else, the idea of mortality starts to cross your, you know, when you lose your parents, you know. Mm -hmm. And I, I especially felt it with my mother that it, that starts to come into question your own, you know, mortality, what you're, you start asking yourself deeper level of questions about your own life, you know, but really that person that loves you unconditionally, that's there. And I know that that's not necessarily your experience, Chumahan. No, I mean, I was, I was going to say that like, and, and it's true. And, um, you know, this might go to the fact that I was asking Maria, like, did you step outside the situation a little bit and see like, this is a rite of passage or take in, and it may be the fact that I do do that at some very intense moments mm -hmm. is part and due to this early separation from my mom. I never had an unconditional I never had unconditional love in my entire life. Yes, you do. From who? From my baby? I'm going to tell you something, man. Now you guys going to make me cry. Mm -hmm. We just got done talking to a guy in Iraq who ate dogs, and we were like yelling war screams and having a good time. Now we're about to cry. Mm -hmm. uh, we There's a scene. One of my favorite shows of all time. I mean, all time. There's probably not a show that's better than this in the world is Mad Men. Okay? I've seen the whole season. This is my sixth time watching the entire season. Don't even give me that face, Maria. Take that face, put it back, because the show is so well done, and there's so much. But that show is about mothers, hmm. right? Peggy's a mother. She gives up her kid for adoption. Don Draper's mother was a prostitute who died, and he had a second mother hmm. who was mean and cruel to him. So you can start to see where I'd start to kind of identify with what's going mm -hmm. on there. But there's this scene, and it gets me every time. When, when, when Don Draper looks down at his daughter and it's Memorial Day and Draper claims, you know, he's in the service, he gets up and his daughter looks up at him and is beaming with pride at her dad. Mm. And he for a moment enjoys it and then you see his face darken because he realizes she's only proud of an image that I've created. The real me is a piece of shit. Right. And it mm. kills him. You watch it crush his soul. And you're right. When you say my daughter, when she smiles at me, and I just watched that scene yesterday, and I thought to myself, I never want to feel that feeling. I never want my daughter to look up at me with pure pride and then me realize it's not me who she's proud of. It's something else. I never want to feel that as long as I live. False pride. And I, it's like, it's like, the purest heart in the room doesn't know who you are and that's why she likes you. I can't imagine the level of loneliness that that will create. But so unconditional love, I do have that now. But growing up, I didn't. Um, so as a result, when my dad was dying and I was holding his hand as he died, and I remember thinking some of these thoughts like, you know, this is important for my development. Maybe that's just how I process and distance myself from shit. 
Could right? be. So I don't get too caught up in the emotional aspect. I think about how it's important for my development. This is an important lesson in life. This is important, you know, analyze that shit. I don't know, Steve, does that make sense to you? That like maybe uh, I will protect myself by uh, analyzing absolutely. it? Absolutely. That just kind of goes with who you are, too. I think as we're going to do that anyways, to an extent, but for you, it's, it's definitely, listen, bro, without a mother, without a mom being present, that's going to create a whole stream of things that a guy like you yeah. is going to peel back on constantly mm-hmm. and going to find out how it fits in your life. But, um, uh, you know, some man, you're a wonderful, caring guy. I got to say, man, it's like you might not have a mom, but you somehow picked up the pieces you're a loving father, you're a great husband, you're great to your mother-in-law, you care about women, you respect women, you have all these things, like, uh, sometimes I wonder, like, man, did, did this guy lie, and he really had, like, a strong female mother, because this guy has all the, <laughs> anyhow. Sometimes I think do. proximity, sometimes I think proximity to strong mothers, not all strong mothers are the same. No. They're not. And sometimes proximity, being close to a strong mother can sometimes turn guys off to women. Because there's a lot of men that I see commit crimes against women. And I think that guy had a mom. Yeah. It, it, listen, let, but I will say this. My my mother-in-law, who was like my second mom, passed away recently. Mm-hmm. I took the death of her very, very hard, man. Paula, you know, rest in peace. And my mom, Harriet, rest in peace. Um, and she was to this day the strongest woman I've ever met. The strongest woman, and her daughter Jessica, my ex wife, is solid, strong. I mean, mother, just business, just all that. My daughter's following, right in the same footsteps. And you know what? Another thing about Maria is, I would love the opportunity for my daughter to be around women like Maria, mm. because I feel like it it, it it rubs off on them. And Maria, like, let me ask you something. Like, I mean, were you were you a straight A student in school? No, you weren't. Mm-mm. What caused you not to get straight A's? You, I was hanging out at the parties and the ditching parties back then. Mm. Um, no, I was not a straight A student. Uh, sure, in elementary, you know, I had good grades, but it's elementary. Uh, when I hit high school, it all went downhill. What caused it all to go downhill? I mean, you right now, let's just say this. You know, Maria is a counselor, right? For girls that are in some trouble, no? Women. Yes. Women. Women. Right? Women in trouble, right? So <clears throat> when you look back with your knowledge now and you see high school, I mean, yeah, you might have been going to parties, but what's really going on? What's What's causing you to be distracted from your own advancement? The people I was hanging around with. Your surroundings. My surroundings. Who were they? The girls I hung out with. And who are they? The same girls that now she's seen in Linwood Jail. (laughs) (laughs) Exactly. Um, Well, I mean, being in high school, you know, you have your crew, you have your little clique. Yeah. So there was about maybe five of us. And uh, yeah, you know, we just got into the whole party crew scene you know hanging out with djs well uh, and that's and that's why you love djs and that's why you married mike how did you how did you what was your most important thing to you guys 
to hang out. Yeah, like what was your like what was your music? What was did you guys have a drug of choice? Did you guys drink? What did you do? Like what was so important to you? Okay, when I was in high school, I did not drink. I didn't do drugs. I didn't smoke weed. But I loved the scene that we were in. We were back in the cha-cha days. So, you know, the whole high energy disco. So, you know, cruising down Whittier Boulevard, hanging out at Don Quixote's, you know, on Soto and Eighth, um, the one on Spring, you know, going to Brandy's, going to Wild Style, you know, we, all the under 18 spots, all the house parties all over East L.A., um, that's what I that's what I was into. That's what my crew was into. You know, we hung out and we just went to the parties, you know, to go, you know, meet up with the guys from Salesian or Cantwell or Garfield and just hang out and party and have a good time by dancing. Dancing. You were down for dancing. Mm hmm. We all were. Yeah. yeah. No. <laughs> well, I don't know. It was more like the disco scene. So, I mean, I don't even think there is an actual name for that style. It was just... Who's your favorite disco artist? Ooh. You know, Donna Summer Girl? No, when I mean disco, I mean like high energy, like cha-cha music from like Taps. Yeah, he's, he's not. Yeah. He's, he's thinking Saturday Night Fever. Yeah, no. What, 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 what I'm not thinking nothing. <laughs> yeah, like taps, lime. Yeah, like plastic doll. You know, the high energy cha cha disco. Different do disco. She's talking about. Yeah. Not seventies disco. Not. Not Yeah. That because it was disco high energy. The style, the way you wore your hair, you put a lot of Aquanet. Um, yeah, that that was the scene. So when you talk about like a favorite artist, uh, I the ones I, that well, really I think made... he's ten, about ten years younger than us, and he didn't grow oh. up in L.A. Oh, okay. So he would have missed out on that term disco and what that really. Yes. That's plastic though, but that's a slow version. Mad brats. <laughs> mad brats. She's still mad brat. God damn. We talked about it with Anthony, our last guest, the life. Remember, he told you he was part of the party crew. Mm -hmm. Yep, SGV, all that. Mm -hmm. Yeah, you guys, sometimes you got to educate me on some of those things because a lot of our audience doesn't know what that is. They hear disco and they're thinking like Donna Summer and fucking whatever. No, you're thinking about... High energy stuff. Is that Does that sound familiar to you? Look up Rosebud, have a cigar. Rosebud, have a cigar. And that came out of, out of Hollywood, out of the arena club, and they put tracks together. Man, and that ain't even on Spotify. <laughs> okay, what about a, what's that, Grace of God? That's a, Grace of God, I think it's a garage or something. Oh, it's by Machine. There you go. But this is all the slow version when it's I'm talking up. the high energy. Are you sure? Are you, you're, <laughs> you were, so you're saying that's slow? Yeah. Yeah, they, all the DJs speed Everything it up. used to speed, yeah, they used to speed it up. So oh, it's called uh, high energy disco. Like that. 
That's disco. That sounds like that sounds like Donna Summer. That's high energy disco. And this backyard parties. They covered. This person's covered by Pink Floyd. They did it. This Pink Floyd. This is Pink Floyd cover. Yeah, that's a Pink Floyd cover. Yeah, for real. And so they sped it up. Oh, look at Maria, man. She still got it. So <laughs> mad breath. Maria. So it wasn't yes. this. It wasn't this. No. 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 Are you sure it wasn't this? You would kill the dance yeah. floor with that. They would stop. We'd be like, oh, who's that? <laughs> but like, oh, hell no. All right. Maria, you did a... Yes. Yeah, so you did a couple great... I, if I still Google my name today, your articles... Some articles and stuff oh, you wrote yeah. on me. Come on. What was that, man? What was the name of that? that? Latino LA. Latino LA. Latino now, LA. Now, let me ask you. Um, she was a, uh, she's a writer. She was, she's she was a writer. writing over there. A graph writer. How <laughs> many, how many, how many, how many publications have you written for? Was it just Latino LA? Uh, Latino were... LA. Um, I also did this article that uh, LA Times, the calendar had actually posted. and. What's the headline up? for the article? Uh, shoot, I don't even remember. Uh, it's been a long. I mean, I have everything saved, but right, yeah. So you wrote, you wrote. Um, how long? How long did you stay in the journalistic part and journalism start? Um, well, I actually got into that type of writing with Latino LA um, because it helped me through when I started uh, dealing with my mother's death. Hmm. So I started writing a lot and um the editor from latino la would write to me and he's like you know um what's going on i i read into your pieces mm -hmm. and i'm actually using some of your pieces in his groups okay that he was facilitating interesting with young women um going through similar depression and you know, going through certain breakups, going through a lot of personal stuff. So okay. I would I would write all that stuff was like it was just coming out and I would write everything. Right. Um, so I started doing that um, probably like in two, I want to say 2000, 2000, around there. And exercising writing as an outlet for your emotions yes. and your pain and your yes. joys. Was this something that you were doing as as a child? It was, did you always write or was this something you picked up later on in your team? I, I picked I, it up later on when I once started. Once your mom passed and stuff? Or? Well, I, I used to like to write in high school. Okay. So I was into that and then when rage against the machine came out oh, i yeah. would always go to the easy ln um okay meetings in highland park yeah so i would I, I started writing a lot and my mom would tell me oh my god mija i love the way you write you're so expressive now wait a minute now i forgot to mention too that uh, maria was involved in mecha she was involved <laughs> with she was also involved with wait what's mecha because people a lot of people don't know and they ain't gonna know. What Damn. is that, man? Go look that. Go look yeah. that shit. You Latin, don't know what it is. Yeah, that's the Latin, a Latin Illuminati. That's your homework. That's your homework. No. You that's also the Latin Bilderbergs. In, in Zach de la Rocha putting together um, a trip that would go down to the Zapatistas mm. in um, Subcubas, Mexico. Subcubidente Marcos. So when, again, all that happened, it just kind of happened. Um, when Mike and I first got together, he was playing Rage Against the Machine, um, and he was 
playing it on his turntable and then I was reading the back of the album mm -hmm. and then I was like, damn. And then it said, you know, to get involved in this right. and that. So then of course I'm like, oh my God, I need I need to get involved. I need to do something. I need to like, you know, one of our first dates, I will never forget. I was like, yeah, if you want to hang out, we can hang out, but I'm going to a rally on Wilshire Boulevard. Yeah. <laughs> you yeah. know, for the Zapatistas. And he's yeah. like, yeah, what is this, sure. 92? Yeah, no, no like we got together in 95. Okay. So I'm going to say 95. 95, 96. Okay. Yeah, because it was one of our first When states. I was at okay. Berkeley, they the Zapatistas would send people up with videos from Subcomandante Marcos to yeah. my Chicano Studies class. That's beautiful. And That's we would watch dope. it. And it's, a, it's the truth, too. And I was at Berkeley, and everybody was like, Viva La Raza, and burn that shit down. Of course, you know, nobody did. <laughs> Let me ask you a question, because now that we're on this, because... Um, Big shout out to Subcabander Marcos. Yeah, and some people think it's more than one dude, and some people think there's also women that play yes. portraying Subcabander Mar Marcos. Yes. The, I like the pipe. Mm -hmm. the, now listen. La pipa. La pipa. No. La pipa. I like right it. Now. now listen, because it's a, it's, it's a, there's a, it's just an American, it's an interesting thing. It gives an intellectual aspect to what he's doing as well, because he's supposedly a, the original or one of the guys was a professor or something. Anyway. Yes. Okay, see? Yeah, from Argentina. Go. What? What were you going to say? You were going to say something? No. No, I'm going to finish with you. Okay. But what I see around me today, if we want to stop fucking around and cut, cut the, the shit, shit. Yeah, thank you. Cut is that shit. we got a lot of people who feel political, but they don't do shit. Like, what, what's happened to the protest people? Like, where's the real... I mean, if you go to MLK... They protested so much that they let loose dogs and tried to hose these fools down and he still wouldn't leave and eventually broke the back. Now you got people who show up for like a day march. They're like, hey, it's for the women for today because we don't like what Trump said. Scientists against Trump. But it's like one day. And the elites, right? They're like, that's cool. Yeah, great. Express yourself. And then shit don't change. Why don't we protest in a way that is going to drive the elites to change Maria? I don't know. I can't speak for everybody because people are good. Everybody talks a good game, but nobody comes out and actually is like, okay, physically, like, let's do this. Like when I grabbed that album cover, I was like, oh, shit, I want to get involved. And I did everything I could to make myself get involved. I would make myself and drive myself to Highland Park every Wednesday night and hang out and, you know, focus and discuss. So I think my opinion is yeah. that people just talk a good game, but we don't we don't put any actions to what we what, what we want to do. What is the secret to putting actions to what you want to do? Why? And listen, let's let's just put this out there, okay? Because I don't want false modesty on this, but we're not about that bullshit. So it is your opinion. We brought you down here because we invited you because we respect you and we, and we love you, actually. And so, yeah, we all know that it's your opinion, but your opinion counts for something here, and we need to hear these voices. You're a voice that people need to hear. So squeezing the end of that straw on, on when it's coming out, it's not going to do anybody any favor. So let me ask you this from your opinion. What's the secret to getting people into action? For real. For reals? Okay. Um, 
We just got to get off our butt. Okay. I'm sorry because I'm not. Um, I feel like I'm in the module right now, so I tend not to cuss. Okay. All right. <laughs> so I'm trying not to cuss. Um, but we just have to be a force, you know, just go out there and not be scared. Um, Do you think people are more scared now than ever before? Yes. Yeah, big time. Yes. You know what's crazy about that is why are they more scared when we live, in a, in a sense, in a more secure world than we did before? Why are they more scared? Because people, people are scared because they're comfortable. You know, <sighs> they, and I'll, and I'll, and I'll, I'm going to put myself there as well. You know, even though I am vocal or I try to be, um, you know, it starts from within. If we see something, then let's be the first to take action. And if we're just going to bitch about it, then step to the side and let someone that's really wants to be true and commit to move forward and, and make something happen. But it starts from within, you know? So can you start a movement? Yes, you could. How long will it start? Who knows? It might take a few days. It might take a week. It might take a year. It, I don't know, but I'm, I'll speak again for me. Yeah. What makes me going is if, I truly believe in something and then I'll move forward. Even if it's just me, you know, I know that I always have Mike that he's like, yeah, all right, let's do this. If, if you believe in it, let's do it. You know, homelessness is huge. We try to do what we can in our community. Listen, sometimes, and I, I respect that, but I'm going to say this, uh, the homeless issue, right? It's crazier now than it's ever been. Am I wrong? No. It smells like piss on every corner. There's yes. tents everywhere. There's yes. hepatitis clouds blowing around, measles and all this rat. Oh, it's crazy, right? Am I wrong? No. And this 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 Los Angeles, right, is the Silicon Beach. Yes. Supposedly, yeah. you know, Google and fucking Facebook yeah. was going to change the way business is done and we're all going to live equally and communicate. Mm -hmm. That shit is not happening. Nope. In your opinion, why is it not happening? Because, again, people are scared. Everyone is just out to look out for themselves. And that's cool. But if you want to be part of society, you can't bitch if you have a storefront and there is a homeless person, but you're not doing anything about it to get that homeless person where they need to go. So, I mean, and, and again, I'm just saying this is my opinion. Right. Um, but also, too, check this out. It's all about in your beliefs and your opinions are cool. But if you're not willing to sacrifice, that's a major keyword people are afraid of because they get comfortable and they don't want to do anything for themselves. If it's for themselves, cool, I'll do it. I can benefit from it. But I'm trying to help someone else and I'm not going to get anything for it. People walk away. And sometimes if you believe in your sacrifice so much and your belief that it may cost your life. And that's what people get afraid of. Because anybody who wants change, it takes a lot, a lot of effort, and some people get taken away. You've seen it in the past. Yeah. And they'll do that. They'll shut that mouth up. It's like, yo, we're in the power in charge, and this guy's changing things. She's changing things. And that's the scary part. Because people, hey, I believe in this so much that I'm willing to die for this. I'm right. Willing to, I'm willing to give my soul away for this, for my people that I love and their beliefs and take care of them. And a lot of people talk a good game like, hey, I'm down, dog. Like, really? I don't want you to talk about it. I want to see the action of it. We're all the same that way. We're like, oh, shit, I'm giving up a lot, dude. And you look at yourself, you're like, am I going to do this? Yeah, because you see the bigger picture. 
And that's what people become afraid of. Of what? What oh, are they afraid of? Change. Because they get comfortable where they're at. They start consuming what they want. They have the things in life. They're comfortable. They're relaxed. They have a quote unquote peace. But with other people are going without, you leave everybody in the back. Man, those yeah. people don't have peace. Most of yeah. those people that say that they have a peace, they might have, they've reduced us down to such rubble that yep. you have a cheap ass job that pays you not enough to live in a city that's too expensive. But because you have a roof over your head, you think like, well, I better not fuck around too much because at least I got a roof over my head. Right. But it ain't shit. Right. Steve, why are people scared? Scared to change. Scared to change this country. Scared to change the system. Uh, I think that I think that comfortable has something to do with it. Um, I don't know the answer. I really don't know the answer to that. Uh, but what I'm going to say is, is this, is that there was, I think that there's, listen, man, the Clash came out with an album 30 years ago called Sandinistas. And they put the literature of what was going on. It wasn't our war. This is Venezuela they're talking about, okay? Right. But they educated the youth, and people got behind it and did something about this cause. Hmm. Yeah, Joe, Joe Strummer also produced a cassette tape that was completely biodegradable mm -hmm. to help save the rainforest. Mm -hmm. You got people like Rage Against the Machine who took Zapatistas on their shoulders and then spread that word. And I feel like there's nobody taking... no. There's nothing important to a lot of these musicians or filmmakers and bono's well, look, flying around going bono, to, bono, bono's Ga too, that was gonna name, okay? galas and and golfers but what i'm saying is is translating it to 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 the young people and and sh some of these young people they're not going to go read about it but if somebody that they think's really cool is involved in shit they're going to try and get involved in it you know what Maybe. that's how capitalism co-ops well, the whole ideology man you know you get sold this ideology for you such a long time it's embedded in you and it's possibly thrown upon you this is my existence this what it's supposed to be and if you don't question anything like question authority and question yourself and your own beliefs like hey let's do this we can make a change it won't happen the same thing's happening in chile right now you talk about rage against protests machines. Yeah, yeah they rage went out there to go play and now they're going to do a tour because of that i don't think but that, those kids, those think, kids are doing it i think that you've got to reach the youth it's always the, important the youth is fucked up a, a lot behind the way things are today and they right. used to be like this kids don't even go outside and play they're stuck on a fucking game or a computer so i think that's part of the problem of engagement with people correct but i feel like that's coming back around and people are starting to want engagement face to face but the other the other piece of it is is i don't i think that you have to get the young people because i think people that are a lot of people that are in their like 30s and 40s are already stuck scared they're believing this whole like, oh, there's a roof over my head. I better not cause any problems because I right. just like having this roof. Over my but it's like I think it starts with like the younger people and, and re-educating them. Hold, hold, hold on. I just got a message from the sound engineers of America. They've said they wanted to hear from Sean. <laughs> <laughs> so, Sean, why are people scared? You've heard some things today. Wh what is your thought on changing the system? Why, why don't we protest like we used to? What's the problem? Uh, I think we do. And it's just, uh, we have to rally behind a cause. And, you know, I, I feel like there was a moment in this this world where Occupy movement was really starting to to make a difference. And, you know, I'm not sh I'm not exactly sure what happened. I mean, I, I'm not going to analyze it or, or, or go over it, but... Why are people scared? You fucking... I don't think they're it. I don't think they are scared. 
Well, what do you think's going on? Because nobody's actually getting upset, really. I think this is just there's the most upset. The most upset for you. The most standing up. I think there's no leader. Someone's got to stand up. I listen to (laughs) reggae. Get up, stand up, stand up for your right. I think people coalesce around a leader, and there's no leader. I would I would agree with that. I agree with that. I agree with that as well. Hold on a second. Who the fuck is Bernie? That's a leader. They coalesced. What happened? I don't know. I mean, Bernie's dope. I love Bernie. What about, uh, what's her name? Warren. She's great. All right. <clears throat> they did coalesce around, around the leader's name was Trump. That's a different. Hey. Okay, I'm getting. You know, you know, I'm gonna take this know. off now. No, no, no. Yeah. I'm not saying that as pro-Trump. I'm no, just right. saying well, that right. guy capitalized on. No, yeah, he knows right. the system well and he utilized it to his best. Yeah. Uh, you know what he, I'm gonna he say? Worked right? on, you know how to get electoral votes, and he worked on that aspect, and that's how he got the president. Uh, this may not sound smart. You know, well, I'm just gonna say this. Wait, when, when he I, said, I, when he says that, by the way, something smart's about that. Totally. He said, "Go ahead." This is just my honest opinion. Here we go. I think I don't think that that I don't think people have the balls they had back when there was some shit you had to fight for, say, even 50 years ago. I think people have gotten softer and softer. I look and I am around on a daily basis. A lot of young people and these fucking kids are soft. Ninety mm-hmm. percent of them are soft. And you tell them some sideways shit and they want to go report you to the police. You can't talk to me like that. You know, like I, I have my emotions. Truth, my man. Like, it's just gotten soft, man, out there. And I think people are scared. You say that they're not scared. I think they are. They don't want their little, I don't want to cut my finger. I don't want to spray my thing. They don't want, nobody has any fucking grip, man. They're well, afraid me, to lose. They're afraid to get hurt. They're afraid to fight. Let me tell you something. And I'm going to say this. fucking scared, I am going to say this. So... I'm reading about the Civil War right now, okay? Now, it's something just hit me, right? Because right now I'm at the place where the North and the South, and listen, anybody who says the Civil War wasn't about slavery or promoting white supremacist bullshit, the truth is it was about slavery because they were ending slavery. If they didn't end slavery, there wouldn't have been a war. Okay, enough with that. Take that, Miss Miller. All right, But, Mm. but the point is, is so... The North and the South are fighting, right? And these are, generally speaking, white men and women who are, who are fighting, and mostly men. And they are killing each other at a rate that had never been seen before, okay? So it's, it's a quantum. If you could cup that in your hands, the amount of blood and violence that's coming out of the war between the North and the South over slavery, you would, you would have a lot, right? And I was thinking about this because... When the institution of slavery was going in the United States at that time, there was a lot of blood and violence perpetrated on African-Americans, right? During that time. That's what that system was about. And the amount of blood debt, blood mortgage, violence debt, violence mortgage, emotional too, right? All that stuff that got shoved down during that system was being put on layaway. Like the Southern whites and the Northern whites before the war and all that stuff, they were thinking like, we know something's coming. Like we can't just change the system because there's, there's going to be an equalization that's going to have to happen for all of that debt of blood and, and violence that's going on in this system. 
It's right. almost like there's going to be a karmic debt to pay. In a way. You know, I think actually, yes, but I think we can even take it out of the karmic realm and just say like, when you squeeze a group of people and it's an inhumane and it's for a system. Something's going to happen after a while. There's, there is, I believe, a debt that, and there's an interest on it. Yes. It gets worse over time the more yes. you try to put it off. A hundred percent. And so leading up to the Civil War, what you see is this kind of incremental change shit that people were trying to do. Like, maybe we can compromise. Maybe we can do little by little and make slight, tiny little changes in the hopes. The fervent hope was we are going to avoid the bill coming due. The backlash due. of it all. The bill coming due, having to fucking pay it. And at some point, Grant, Lincoln, John Brown, all these guys came to a stopping place where they realized we actually have to kill Southerners. We have to express this blood debt in order for the system to change. You're not going to get a peaceable change from right. the system. It can't happen. Why? Because the system is propped up on a blood mortgage. And that's exactly what's, what happens. Now I'm reading. And, and they, if, the, sense. if the South would have just been like, okay, we'll just do it. It, we could, but no, it was never going to happen. It was about labor, man. That was all their labor going out. So, but that labor, it, it was, but the point of the matter is, is that there's a violence that's not being addressed for that labor. And that's the debt. But that's why they didn't see it. That, that, they I mean, did we, see it. But they, they knew they it. They care. felt it. They didn't care. Simple and the point that. is, is to make that systemic change is going to be a bloodletting. There has to be. And I was thinking about these systems that we have in America and around the world. I ain't going to just blame America. I don't get all these nations suck. Trust me. Okay. But the point is we live in America and America's got ideals that are supposed to be higher than what we're living right now. And the point is, is like, I was thinking about it. And I'm like, so just like the civil war, all of the inhumane systems that we have here in this country are creating a debt like healthcare, right? Think about healthcare. They, they, the way they've set it up and they're trying to do this piecemeal, it's almost the same. Like even Barack Obama's like, well, we'll do a little bit of this and we'll do a little bit up, oh, two steps forward, one step back. You know, all that bullshit is an avoidance of a change in the system that's going to release a bill that is coming due. And you can see it's coming due because anti-vaxxers don't trust the health system. So they're not vaccinating their kids, which is increasing disease. Homeless populations are creating disease because no one's taking care of them and it's growing. And what I'm saying to you is, what I'm saying right now is, I think all these systems need to be looked at like a debt, like an economic, people need to realize so that we get off the ball of delaying it and putting it on layaway and saying like, you know what, let's just let the interest accrue. I'll default on the interest, we'll pay it next year. Cause it's only gonna be bigger. This is what I think for our people now and the younger people that Steve was talking about. I think people are illiterate when it comes to government and systemic changes. I don't think our people are really taught how to protest. Like, what's the purpose of a protest? How do you effectively shut the fucking city down for 30 days? Because guaranteed, every motherfucker listening to this Fatherfucker too. All right, sorry, sorry, I swear. Like, I, every time I see Maria, I realize, man, I gotta maybe. I'm I gonna give you a learning yeah, experience. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> Put you on lockdown. Oh shit! Hey, listen, I am already on lockdown. Let me tell you. Story life. But my point is, is if 
protesters were if the kids and even the middle-aged were taught like dude it's about 30 minutes uh, 30 days of shutting down la no one going to work like if everyone just said i'm not going <laughs> if to everybody work was in i'm not going to work today i'm not going to subway i ain't going to pizza hut i ain't yep. going to google i ain't gonna get on the city bus and drive that some bitch i ain't doing any of that today for 30 days straight you best believe some changes are about to happen i said i'm talking about come I don't on know. maybe we need to do it maybe we need to start damn. setting you up become our the own. catalyst you're the, you're the catalyst for that no man. maria is the catalyst <laughs> <laughs> crazy. look at you are, she got me crazy leader man she don't got me trip, crazy bro. She got me crazy. But she got you fired up, and that's what great leaders do. Fire people up and get them attention, man, and that's you. I just think, thank you. I just think that- What if everybody didn't pick up their iPhone for one day? Dude, what if everyone picked up their iPhone and then didn't go to work and just communicated what their bosses are paying them? And everyone found out how much you were or weren't getting paid. Mm -hmm. You know what's a trip, man? You see people walking around. they're 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 in their own zone. And it could be you could be a crowd full of people. And the moment, the most detrimental thing you could tell them and throw them off their game is hello. You could tell them fuck you, all that shit. They respond to you. Mm. The moment you say hello to somebody, they, they get don't like, know what to do like with yo, that. what's up, yeah. man? You talking? Yeah, yeah I'm talking. Yeah, hey, yeah, what's yeah going that's on? crazy. And it's like that's a very powerful thing because you're being human with them, right. and, and there's no judgments. Like, hey, what's going on, bro? And they're kind of like, oh, what the fuck's up, SA? What you? I'm like, it ain't about that, dog. <laughs> okay. It's hello. Let me ask you something. You know what I'm saying? Because there was a, we had a guest on that we talked about, okay? And he was from Venice. Right. And he was talking about how it used to be growing up in the neighborhood. Kids, hey, you know what? If my son gets out of line, you can oh, whoop yeah. him. Hey, yeah, yeah, I know. Sure. Other kids, didn't yeah. matter what color they were. They showed up in your house. Hey, hey, sit down. We're going to eat dinner here. You know, you, yeah. you know what I'm saying? Yeah. In the neighborhood. And when somebody's mom called, you heard from way over there and you got your ass home. Okay, we're talking yes. about the 70s and growing up in some of the 80s. Now, he talks about now, he goes, the people build these, you know, two, three million dollar homes. They put the fences up so high that you can't see in, they can't see out. They come and go out of the back. They never come out and engage. There is no such thing as walking over to your neighbor and introducing. They just want to be like, don't bother me. I don't bother you. I act like you don't exist. Whatever that is, whatever that is, is the same people that don't want to get involved in any type of protest. Listen, I lay that on our, at our feet. I, and I say this time and time again. There's something that we are misunderstanding about how everything works. Because that same, what, 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 Mr., what Tony was saying... Right, Mr. Massey, what he was saying about that is cool. But then, if every if that was so cool, why did it lead to this? Why did it lead to where we're at? If that was so cool, same thing with the quote unquote greatest generation. Greatest generation supposedly fought real evil, which was Nazis and blah blah blah. They somehow gave rise to the hippies, who somehow gave rise to Reaganomics, which eventually gave rise to where we're at now. How is it possible that if it was so good in the old days, we're in a fucked up place in the present? Tell me that, Maria. <laughs> I hate politics. It's it, but but it, but this. I, I mean, I don't even consider this politics because we ain't talking about Republican or Democrat. We're talking about systems. I'm just saying, Steve. It's a, like, it's like, how is it possible that we had good values in the old days and yet we're in a fucked up situation now? I don't know if that's necessarily the people just deciding it goes down like that. So what happens? Maybe the information that's being translated. Maybe the way that we're being led maybe the information we're being fed maybe there there's a, i think there's more it, than just the people uh, in the uh, as a group we just evolved to this on our own there's outside things that are that are also working on it 
It's like, oh, well, How do we didn't protect- work, so we went here and did this. No, it's it's not. We're not guiding ourselves. We're being fucking fed all sorts of shit through our food, through our radio, through our TVs. How do we protect ourselves from that? <sighs> Knowing your history. Independent <laughs> thinking. Well, independent thinking. Independent thinking. Start but also- fucking going on with... Start yeah. listening to what's going on inside. Start listening to you, what, what's being told inside your own head, your own feeling. Go with your fucking feeling. People rely too much on the written word today instead of the feeling. What do you think about that, Maria? We do. We trust what the inside that inside. We're all born with something inside that tells us true from false. You can read something and know if it's fucking fake. You can have a conversation with somebody and know when they're bullshitting you. That's you know true. why? No doubt. Because you, know. you were given a fucking barometer inside. We all have that fucking barometer, but people don't trust that barometer. They start listening with some other motherfucker that has a different fucking idea or plan for their ass somebody who has an agenda is telling them that oh and they got some key words and hey and they're like oh oh yeah, yeah and they just forget about their feeling they push that down they go along with this motherfucker who's trying to get money out of their pocket or get them to go fight over here or some shit and that is like if you just listen to your inside it's gonna tell you just like it was telling your ass don't fucking take the car when your ass was 14, <laughs> don't fucking lie. Yeah, Maria. That doesn't feel right. That what motherfucker's you telling me some bullshit. Rebel. This motherfucker's about to rock. You start trusting that shit, and your life will start changing. But you got all these motherfuckers, and the radio, and the TV, and the fucking... Everybody's trying to get something from you, and they're throwing you off. And I think that's part of the problem, man. I agree with that. I Sean, do you agree with that? Sure, yeah. Definitely. <laughs> yes. I love it. Let me wipe my mic down. It's soaking <laughs> wild. I love it, man. This kid's volatile. I agree with that, too, because I thought passion. he was going to hit. Volatile, man. That would be better. Calm Blow a fuse. He was sleeping before that. I love that, dude. I love when he gets fired. I was like, shot. And the greatest thing. No, we have people come in. They got, you know, bling. They got all this other stuff. The thing that fires up Steve is when you talk about the inner thing. And he's like, you got to listen to the inner truth. I don't care. <laughs> Who I got a bit of killing this motherfucker? We're gonna listen to the inner truth. Not with that bullshit. It's true. He's it's absolutely true. But you're right. So it is. Wait, 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 wait. So go so man, that was an amazing discussion. And so go cut. And, no. and going back to but going back to Maria, so so you are now a counselor for women that are what? Incarcerated? Yes. Okay. I work at Lingwood, which is women's facility. Where's that at? In Linwood, Linwood, California, Linwood County Jail for Women. Yes, CRDF, CRDF, CRDF. I love Sean. Sean mad because he didn't know. Look at all. Maria was like, "It's called Linwood because it's in Linwood, saga." They call it Chino, Chino because it's in Chino, saga. I apologize. Where's LA County Men's Jail? Oh, it's in LA County. Hey, wait, no, where's Folsom? Oh, oh no, Folsom mean Folsom, California. California. Folsom That's probably Mike. why they got Folsom. Yeah, okay, sure. no. Uh, but where's Corcoran? Where's Susanville? <laughs> <laughs> where's Delano? <laughs> no, just um, it's yeah, not so about Sean right now. Sean, Stop picking Sean, on him. Yeah. Look at his face. Look at this California. Maria, you're a counselor. Read that you, have to, you know what? You might have to be more of somebody who's been arrested and grew up down here to know Linwood is a... Uh, right. Where's Linwood. In California, in we Linwood, just said that. California. Yeah. Yeah. Next Southgate, to Compton. It's like Southgate, Southgate all Compton, all that. Compton. Okay. Watts. Yeah. Now you know. Okay. 
perfect. See how Martin e- Luther King. It's right off the 710 freeway off Imperial. Hospital. There we go. See how easy it is to ask a question. Right off group? Imperial and Alameda. Yeah. We're a very supportive group. I'll just mute Sean's going to go drive no, by there after the podcast. Do don't do that. Don't, don't, take, don't, don't take Alameda <laughs> after 3 o'clock because it's crowded, Doc. Okay. So you're at Linwood, which is in some of the choicest parts of LA, right? Mm-hmm. You guys okay. And as a counselor, like, what do you do? Like, what kind of information are you bringing to them or what are they talking to you about? Okay, so I'm in a module, uh, which is 3,500, and um, I facilitate group, and I also have a caseload. So when I facilitate group, I'm talking about domestic violence. I'm talking about trauma. I'm talking about sex trafficking. Um, How big is a problem is, is sex trafficking? It's huge. How how is it That's possible that it's huge? Because like a lot of people don't look at me with those eyes. I understand what you understand, but I'm trying to be in the shoes of the audience. See her eyes? Do you see those eyes every day, Mike? Twenty five years. Okay. So <laughs> don't worry. I have the same thing. People are like, "What?" And because uh, my face says everything. Yeah, exactly. My face. I can't hide my face. They're like, "You don't like what I'm saying right now, do you?" I'm like, "No, nah, no." Nah. Okay. So when you say it's huge, how is it possible? Like we hear about Epstein, we hear about all this shit. How is it possible that it, sex trafficking can be so huge in 21st century America where supposedly that shit doesn't happen? A lot of women don't even know that they're being trafficked because a lot of it starts from the men that they choose to be with. So they think they have a relationship. They think they have a relationship. Yes. What kinds of things happen in a woman's life that set her up to be taken advantage of in that way by those guys? I will be honest with you that a lot of the women that I work with come from um, broken homes where a lot of the times the mothers or the sisters, even the fathers, are selling them for dope. Man, so it starts hard. at a young age. Um, I've heard, um, I process a lot because sometimes it's really difficult because I get my, my anger comes yeah. out first before yeah. I can even like show any other type of emotion. Um, so I've even heard a story where a client was like, yeah, I remember at the age of three, a man saying, She's too old. That's fucked up. Mm-hmm. I look at, you know what, man, I, I hear these stories and I read these stories. And this is one of the reasons why. And I know people are going to be like, not everyone should have kids because some people can't be good parents. But when you have a kid, you have just a different understanding when you're like, that's my daughter. She's like only three months and some kind of pervert or some kind of fucking weird pedophile. I mean, that shit gets right to my core. I would never permit that. Then I, and then I, <clears throat> I read some of these books about therapists who work with people who've been molested and all that other mm-hmm. kind of stuff, and how some parents facilitate it. And I try to understand the mindset. Like, how do you do that? Like, how does a parent get in, in that situation? You're saying a lot of it's addiction. A lot of it is addiction. So the drugs, they want it so bad they don't know how else they're going to get the money, so they just throw their kids at some creeps. Yes, I think there's facilitating or the too. pimps. How about the facilitating where the parent doesn't want to screw up their relationship, so they just dismiss it, or go in denial about it, or act like it's not existing. That also happens, but again, when a parent um, acts like 
it's okay or nothing's going on or don't worry about it and just do as you're told, a lot of it comes from, well, I don't want to lose him. Right. So you just... That, that, just do as you're that's told. what I'm saying because yeah. I've heard a lot of stories of a maybe like a like a I don't know, for instance a daughter is being sexually abused by the stepdad mm-hmm. right. she goes to the mother and the mother goes you open your mouth we're gonna throw you out or mm-hmm. they, they're in fear of being thrown out because right. the mother's mm-hmm. not gonna lose that relationship or that man not mm-hmm. even for a child and those stories frustrate me that th- these kids would have to keep it quiet because they were told not to. Stories like that just, they frustrate me. And I think that I consider that a form of facilitating as well. It mm-hmm. is. You know? That's not a strong mother. Right. Right? Maria? That's not a strong. No. That's not strong maternal. That's why when sometimes people talk about the maternal instinct, I'm always like, I know there's something there, but I don't know what that is because there's a lot of people who've got it messed up. Like they don't, they're, they're, dude, I was, I had a girlfriend, her sister, her mom, married this prime america dude okay and her sister was taking a shower and the prime america she felt something and the prime america dude was staring at her through the keyhole and she secretly like snuck out of the shower opened the door caught him on his knees like peeping through the thing right and they chased him and he tried to we ran out of the house jumped over a fence and hid and then they caught him and the and they were going to call the cops the daughters the one of the girls i was in gonna call the cops and the mom begged her like with tears in her mm-hmm. eyes the mom begged her not to call the cops because the mom i guess is so desperate to have any kind of relationship yeah, yeah 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 it's fucked up that's huge with working with incarcerated women you, that type of scenarios you hear that a lot a lot this is and i hear and i've heard it a lot i've heard to the point where you know i was getting molested by my stepfather and to the point where it happened at such a early age before I was even five. Now I'm a teenager and I'm thinking in my head, he's my man, right. not my mom's man. Ugh. Like a confused. Yes, of course. I, 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 you're dealing with children, man. So of course it's gonna get morphed in ways that we can't even wrap our heads around as an adult if you haven't been through that experience. No, and you know what? In, in that scenario, Maria, have you ever come across people who they have that kind of like fucked up thought because they're so young and they don't understand the boundaries yet, right? Mm-hmm. I mean, it's, and then then in incarceration, they're a little bit more mature and then they're actually feeling guilty that they even thought like that. Like they, that, that somehow they had that thought means maybe there's something. How many of these women think that, man, I'm afraid to have a real relationship because maybe I'm fucked up permanently? Well, number one, a lot of them don't think about don't think about like, oh, you know, how can I get into a relationship? They don't think like that. The women that I work with, yeah. Again, these are just the ones that I work with. Sure. Um, they're all in relationships, whether it be with men or women. You know, they don't think like, oh no, am I going to be like that? Am I going to be accepting of that? They're not thinking like that because 90% of the women in there are in there for dope. You know, whether it was at five years old where they were getting shot up by their own mother or their own uncle or their own father, then them actually just starting to do drugs at such a young age because some because this is what they know. 
A lot of them come from when they tell me, Miss, this is what I know. This is all I know. You know, so they accept it because they feel this is this is what I know. So I'm they're scared to give themselves that chance of literally like just being the first one to step out of what they're comfortable with, what they accept, what they've allowed. How do you reach addicts? Right, they're in- incarcerated. But how do you reach addicts? Because I used to work in Malibu at like one of those high-end sober mm-hmm. livings, right? When people are paying like, you know, mm-hmm. fifty grand a month to stay in a house, right? <clears throat> and those kids were like impossible to reach. I mean, you could try talking about whatever, but it didn't matter. How do you reach people who that's all they know? That's their safety bar. Like that's all I know, and you're sitting there trying to talk to them. I mean, I'm assuming you're counseling them about drugs and alcohol and how it's related to the choices they've made mm-hmm. right how do you break through all the armor i don't you know everyone that i work with facilitates different um what i tell the clients is i'm not here to push you um a lot of them tell me i don't even know why i'm in here i'm not gonna stop i love it I love heroin. I can't wait till I get out. You know what? If Send me back to GP so I could go score. So for me to sit here and tell you that I could change each and every one of these women, that I sit there with them and I like start preaching to them, I don't. I my The words I use are, when you're ready, if you're ready, I'm here to help you and to guide you. And I'll be here on this journey this this little space that I have with you I tell them different things um I tell them most of them have kids most of them have kids that have been taken away in the system because again they tell me miss this is what I know this is how I grew up I remember my grandparents I remember my parents and now it's my third or fourth generation so now I'm gonna do it because this is what I know. Let my kids get taken away and get put in foster care where they're getting molested. Right. Exactly. So, <clears throat> dude, I, my wife was just reading an article about a situation in foster care not too long ago. And she was like in tears because she's a, a new mother and she can't imagine. What? So then what's why are you passionate about it? What's in it for you? Like you just got done saying like. Some of these people, this is just what they're going to do. And I'm not, you know, obviously you can't change a drunk who doesn't want to stop drinking. No, everybody knows that. Um, but I am here. What keeps you here? Why are you passionate about this? Why is this your, your vigil? Because I know what it's like. I know what it's like to be an addict. I know what it's like to be frustrated, to be hiding, to think that every to say that everything's okay when it isn't you know my story is different of why I started doing drugs just like everybody else that I work with Mm -hmm. um but I do it because I love it because I care and I want them to know that if they feel that there's nobody out there because even their parents and their family has left them out there in the streets and they've been living out in camps on by the 
train tracks for the past 10 years, they know that Miss is here and she's going to be here whenever they're ready. I'm there to help them, to guide them, to just stand there with them because I'm not allowed to touch them. So I can't say that, you know, to hold their hand. Because they don't want any contact between you and the prisoner? It's just not allowed in the in the jail. You, right. you can't touch. There's no touching at all. Like even if they come and, you know, most of the time, you know, when you start building that bond and that trust with clients, I don't like to call them inmates. Okay. So I use the word client. So when a client comes up and is like, oh, miss, you know, I'm, I'm so happy to see you. That's not allowed, mm-hmm. you know, and my first reaction is like, you know, you already know, but I have to do that. And I tell them it's not out of disrespect. It's because I don't want myself to get in trouble. I don't want to get in trouble. Right. So when they when they just in good natured way, a friendship yes. way, touch your shoulder to say, yeah. hey, you have to move away. Yes. Man, are you listening to this, Steve? Like, in a Am weird... I listening to this? I'm right here. Listen, the reason why I ask that is because on the one hand... <laughs> On the one hand, she's giving that unconditional love that you were just talking about. You're like, there was one person and it was your mom. So Maria is like, kind of like on some levels, unconditional love. And yet she has to maintain this separation. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. Yes. And I, I've seen it and experienced it. And, uh, it's inter- and it's interesting you say that because the first way an inmate or somebody takes it is a sign of disrespect. Mm-hmm. Wow, the fuck? Yeah. You, know, you have to reassure them. Hey. It ain't about that. It's that, you know, I got a job here to do. You know, you ain't paying my bills. You know what, Mario? I need to back, I just need to back it up a minute. I need you to talk about, talk about you, you know, as you were pursuing this, um, your credentials as a drug and alcohol counselor. Mm-hmm. You know, at one point you were hit with some information and some news mm-hmm. about your health. And, Listen, when you when you broke it to me, I was scared. I've told you this before. I was fucking nervous just hearing it. But like, I have not seen that many people like stand up and be like, "All right, I'm gonna go in. They're gonna do this. I'm gonna go in. They're gonna do this, and I'm gonna try and study and do that. And then, oh, I gotta go back in because now we gotta do this. And it was like procedures. It was like you were like going to school and trying to do this while you were fighting for your life in these very evasive, like, tell me about that. How old were you when, or can you give me an idea of where you were at when you got diagnosed and what did you get diagnosed with exactly? Um, okay, so I got diagnosed in 2015 mm-hmm. with uterine cancer. Okay. Uterine. Uterine Which cancer. Which is the seat of motherhood. Yes. Okay, so when I got diagnosed, um, it was, uh, I was in shock. You know, I could hear the doctor talking, and as her mouth was moving, I couldn't hear anything that was coming out of her mouth. Yeah, Yeah. I I couldn't hear anything. Um, So I went home, I cried, I was like, that's it. I'm not doing anything. I'm not doing surgery. And to hell, I'm not getting no chemo. I'm not doing anything. I was just like, nope, no radiation. I'm not doing all that shit. Um, But then I started thinking about my mom. 
you know, um, and the, when she was diagnosed with ovarian cancer, how she fought, you know, she was like, no, I'm doing chemo. I'm doing radiation. No, it's not my time. And I'm just going to I'm going to do it. So when I got diagnosed with uh, the uterine cancer, I was our, I got diagnosed on a Friday. That Monday, I went back to the hospital to see the, the doctor that was going to do the surgery. And she had already scheduled me. Before you were, I so you were 48 hours of like, miss me with all that sideways shit. By Monday morning, you're like, all right, what we got to do? <laughs> yeah, so by Monday, I was like, snap out of it. <laughs> right. um, so went to the hospital. She said, okay, this is what we're going to do. Um, and at that point, I was like, I'm 45 at, at this point. You know, this when, junction. Yeah. Right. And, um, you know, um, I'm calling my uncle and my uncle's also a doctor. Um, and he's giving me like going down the steps with everything. And I'm like, well, you know, I'm, should I just get it removed? What do I do? And he's like, yeah, get that shit removed. You know what? As a matter of fact, get a full hysterectomy. And wow. I was like, wow. no, I'm not doing all that. And then I'm like, no, you know, that's part of being a woman he's like okay he's like let me break it down to you that doesn't make you a woman what makes you a woman is who you are mentally and then I was like okay and then he said I'll never forget this he told me had your mother known had the advantages of what medicine has now she would have done it and I was like you're right so Two weeks after that, I had a full hysterectomy. It was really hard for me. Mentally, emotionally, physically, I was like, that's it. See, I don't want to live. I don't want to do nothing. So right after that, because I come from a line of women who have cancer and who have passed away, um, my doctor suggested that I get the genetic testing done which was the, some people call it the BRC, I say BRC1 and BRC2, which is both. Um, and I tested 95% positive for breast cancer. So that was another process, you know, then I was like. Now you had to decide, even if you didn't have it, but that you set high with the with the assumption you're probably going to get it right that's mm -hmm. what that test is basically yeah, that, telling that, you that's what it's, it's coming yeah it's coming but you just don't know when right yeah and so with that you have to make a decision to now take another procedure on yes so at that point <sighs> you know i was like oh i'm good i know i'm not gonna you know it's all good like oh i'm not gonna have that mind you i had already had a full hysterectomy right and my doctor tells me well even though we took everything out, there's always that 10, 20% chance mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. you'll still get ovarian cancer, even though you don't have your ovaries in. So is it medicine? Like, medicine is just a mother. It's just fucked up. Medicine is fucked oh, up. Oh, yeah, it is. Um, so again, I have a staff of, I'm going to say about 15 doctors at this time now. Right. Because I've tested positive and they're giving me all these different, you know, um, things to choose from different ways that I can work on it. Okay, well, you know, you don't have to have the surgery, but you'll have to come every six months for mammograms and all these tests. Tests, And I'm thinking in my head, 
well, shit, I'm already 46 at this point. Um, I'm getting older. So when it does happen and they tell me, yoo-hoo, you have breast cancer, am I going to really have las ganas and the umph inside of me to fight? You know, to like get better my... To, better to do when you're younger and stronger in order to get it all done. Well, this is when I called my uncle again. And we did this whole conversation again of, okay, so I got positive, 95%, um, breast cancer and all this other crap. And again, he tells me, okay, if your nanny, who is my grandmother, had the new opportunity of all the new medical procedures that they're doing now, do you think she would have done it? And I'm like, shit. Hell yeah, she would have. She would have. See, that's, that's, that's honestly the trouble of having a line of strong women in your family. Because at every step of the way, you got some relative to be like, hey, <laughs> you think Nani? Nani, yeah, you have to do everything that they did. Yeah. Or didn't do. <laughs> yeah, exactly. So, you know, um, Mike was amazing. Yeah. And um, he was like, whatever you decide, I'm there. Damn straight. Man. Your man. I like my, Mike. My family, everybody was like, my brother was like, again, like Mike, whatever you decide, sis, I'm there. The only person that didn't want me to get surgery because I think it was more of that, I don't want to lose my daughter, was my dad. He was like, mm -hmm. nope, if you don't have it, why are you going to get it done? Right, no, right, no, right. no. You know, right, like, right. there's no need. You're alive. You're good. You're healthy. Well, what did the doctor say? Aren't you healthy right now? Yes, dad. But let's think. Ahead. Right. Ahead. Right, let's right, not right, wait right. till disaster strikes. I, yeah, exactly. I see a parent want be like, why would you? Yeah. Like, no, yeah, because exactly. every surgery is a risk. A risk too. Because you yeah. got those anesthesiologists who right. are like yeah. high yeah. as fuck right. most of the time. Right. And then all yeah. they got to do is twist the wrong knob and right. then you don't wake up. You're feeling groovy. Exactly. Right. So that being said, um, when I got my results in May, it was actually... St. Patrick's Day, when I got my results of the 95% from May to four months of every week meeting a crew, and I'm talking about 10 to 15 different doctors, different departments, to tell me exactly the procedures, to give me the choices of what I could do and how long this was going to be and this and that. I said, all right, you know what? I'm going to go all balls. I'm going to get a full double mastectomy yeah. with reconstructive surgery, oh. which a lot of women decide to get implants. Right. And I that was the first thing I was like, I don't want implants and mike was amazing because he was like coming in and he's like got this long list of like okay you know like what are the fallbacks you know what's good what's not what could happen and this and that and i was like no i'm not doing that i was really adamant i had already said in my head no i'm not doing that wait a second <clears throat> So, Mike, you didn't push her to get, like, double Ds or anything like that, no, right? No, man, I want I her to be happy. <laughs> she already has them, so I'm not even tripping off that. I just want her to be happy. All right. That's all my concern was. That's okay, it. and then, so then, tell tell, tell audience, especially guys who don't know, when they do a reconstructive thing and they're not doing implants, because most guys are just thinking about implants. Yeah, exactly. Right. So, what do they do? 
So what they did was, okay, so again, going back to the different uh, doctors that I had, um, and me, because I was doing a lot of my own my own research, um, I decided I was like, one of my, the NP that was, uh, that is amazing, um, she was like, well, you know, we have this one thing, but not a lot of, you know, patients get it which was the reconstructive surgery. Right. And I was like, hmm, what's that all about? And she's like, well, what we do is we take your, um, where women usually have C-sections, which is the, you know, your stomach. Lower abdomen. Yeah, the lower abdomen. So they cut from one side to the next. So you'll have like a big happy face. Right. But what they do is they take that part of your stomach and they use that skin to reconstruct your breast. Right. And I was like, really? And I was like, wow, like tripping out. And then I was like, okay, so how how long is the procedure? She's like, ooh, she's like, well, it's usually about anywhere from 15 hours. She's like, anywhere from 10 to 15 hours. And I'm like, okay. So going back and forth, uh, we're almost close to the date. And then... The plastic surgeon tells me, okay, so yeah, so we're going to do that. We'll, you know, um, we'll remove your breast. My tumor doctor tells me, okay, so we'll, we'll remove your breast and this and that. And, um, and then we'll do that. And then we'll schedule you for your surgery to do the reconstruction reconstruction. And I was like, what? And I was like, different things. Yeah. So then I'm like, what? And then he's like, yeah, that's how it works. And I was like, oh no, I'm not doing that. And then he's like, what do you mean you're not? I'm like, no, I'm not leaving this hospital without my breast. And then he's like, yeah, I was like, no, I'm not doing that. I'm not leaving the hospital. That's how Sean goes to bars. He's like, I'm not leaving this bar without breast. breast. (laughs) Yeah, Sean, get down, Sean. (laughs) So I was like, I'm not leaving the hospital without my breast. That's like, no, I'm not. That's not going to happen. So then another surgeon comes in. He's the head of the department. Yeah. And he tells me, well, if you don't want to leave the hospital without your breast, then um, it's going to be a longer procedure. My surgery was 23 hours. Damn. Damn. Like triple yeah. shifts. Yeah, to have different doctors come yes. in and do stuff, right? Yes. What? Wow. Yeah. So I went Crazy. in at... You, did you wake up? Did you feel like you were hit by a Mack truck? Yep. Damn. Yeah. And what are you doing, Mike? Are you down in the chapel praying your balls off? So pray, no. I pray every day, man. I wasn't let her do her thing. <laughs> Maria I, said I, no. No, because if I. Wait, 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 wait. What's the story? Look at that face. What's the story? I'll tell you why. Look, why is she making that face, Mike? Because she can. <laughs> <laughs> wait, wait, what is the story there? Now, she's. No, we listen, were straight up. We were not. This, we're not getting along straight up. And we were not. So we were both. At this all, time. At this time. So you're in Vegas with the slot machines while she's getting cut much. up with the breast. <laughs> I was not there. And um, I really, really regretful for that. I really, really hate oh, myself. Don't worry. You know you what? Know? I have a feeling you haven't been allowed to forget that. Oh, of course Ooh. not. Right? No, but we, yeah. No. Well, let's just say he was there. No, I wasn't there. Physically, like but not mentally. Dude, you sound so much like my wife. It's unbelievable because no matter, how, no matter how much I do the right thing, 
It's always, always something that's was democratic. I told her, she's like, why don't you do it? I listen, I would do it perfectly, but I know you'd still complain about <laughs> something. <laughs> yeah, I'm just used to it now. I'm just like, whatever. I, you know, I told her, totally. I was talking to Sean about this earlier. Totally. Sean and I, I was, I was like, when it, we have this podcast. We've got thousands of downloads. We have amazing guests totally. like you. Uh, and I don't even know if people understand what it's like for us to be able to converse the way that we do on those podcasts sounds so natural all that stuff right we're right. building it it's, it's so and i come home with my wife and i'm like look at this and look at that and, da, 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 da. and then you know she's unimpressed and i'm like woman when are you gonna be? i'm a lawyer i got a master's i w- lift weights i'm vegan i give you the beautiful baby i got a podcast when are you gonna be impressed and she's like not till we have a 10 million dollar house <laughs> <laughs> and I said to her, I go, you know what? Even then you're not, because you're going to be like, well, it's not 11 million. Exactly. <laughs> Sean, can you relate to, oh, when is man. your wife going to be impressed with you? I just walked into the, the bedroom the other day and I was like, ah, oh, sealed the deal. Like I, I was, I, I've been working on this contract negotiation for nice. months. And I finally sealed the deal and I walk in there and she's like, oh, yeah. <laughs> not impressed. Not impressed. Like, the detrimental question when? is, when? Right, like when is your when? wife? When is my wife gonna finally treat me I with some like these different reverence. things going on? And like you know, I finally I'm like locking stuff down. And just, wait, he's not even being so. So Sean, <laughs> right? So Sean, not only did he does he get a new job, right? He's got this new job with his music company, Producer Loops. Uh, he he, they put him in charge of the contract negotiations for revamping a lot of stuff, right? Nice, congratulations. Now look, at, if you know Sean, Sean's a quiet guy, right? So he's mm-hmm. not. So he does everything he's got to do. No one's trained him. He just is like, I'm gonna do whatever I have to do. Point A, point B to execute, right? So he executes this major contract. Also, he's a father. Also, his wife was in India for three weeks. Right, while he was home alone with their three-year-old, taking care of whatever. <laughs> On top of that, the guy engineer runs, the podcast. Show. Engineers the podcast. Run five miles, and he walks in there, and he's like, ah, "I finally sealed the deal." She's like, mm, "Okay, listen, <laughs> I need you to pick up some things at the, exactly. at the grocery store." Exactly. I tell my wife the same thing. I go, "Hey," and then she goes, "Well, you know, it would be nice if you would pick up your socks and put them in there." <laughs> I'm like, I'm an artist. I don't think you understand. I could stay home and pick up socks with you, but then ain't nothing happening. What is what is what is with that, Maria? What, yeah, what is that? is that? Set the bar. They set it the bar matter. too high already, right? So now they can't go over lower. If you let us know, then we're then we're just we might run wild or something. No, it's the fact that you guys should already know <laughs> before we even say anything. Like we shouldn't get to the point where we're like, pick up your fucking socks. Like you right. should already know. Right. You need to pick them up if you don't want to pick them up. Yeah, but me you off. know what? Let me tell you something. Because Chapinas ain't perfect either. And there's mm. a million things where I tell my wife, I'm like, why do I have to tell you this? Like, you already know this. Look at my eyes. Look at my eyes. Do you, did you, or don't you already know this? And my wife finally cracks. She's like, yeah, I didn't do that. So then why are you sweating my ass? Every time, so you you make me tell you, but then when you have to tell me, you act like I just asked you to do like a bunch of labor. Why? Mm-hmm. Why isn't it fair? Maria. Why isn't it fair? Because it's our way, and that's just the way it is. Mm. Wow. Yeah, there's wow. Mm. Thus, you guys are all married, and I am not. No, ah. let, me let me tell you something. There's, there's a method to the madness. There's a method to the madness, because I'm going to tell you a couple of things. Number People one. People in the madness always say there's, there's a, a method, method to their madness. It's because, part of the defense of their madness. Yeah, that's the method. 
Yeah. That's the method to the, the method. madness. Yeah. I got to find some kind of sense in it. People that ain't in madness don't go, there's a method to the madness. They go, that's madness. But the people inside <laughs> it are like, there's a method to all this. Listen, no matter what room I'm in, it's going to be the best room to be in. <laughs> that's how sure. I survive in my life. You know yeah, what I mean? Yeah, that's how I do. Yeah. But because <clears throat> Sean and I, not too, not a while back, we weren't doing anything. Yeah, that's true. Right? Yeah, we weren't doing We shit. weren't doing that one. We, we had a lot of time to smoke weed and drink beer. Play video Dude, we, games. Oh, oh. Be unproductive, citizens. Oh, Tomb Raider. Tomb Raider. How many times, oh. how much time did we spend on Tomb Raider? Uh, I don't know how many times I've died in Tomb Raider. Dude, <laughs> we, and, and, and when, we were, when I was drinking, we were going to get beer at night. It, you would have thought we were writing a dissertation. Like we would do research, oh, we yeah. would drive there, right. oh, we yeah. would elevate, we would talk, we would talk about the mood, and amazing. Yeah. I have nothing to show for it but a hangover. Let me let me ask you this: Should we? Do we? I want to know a little bit about what Maria has going on to today in her life. Yeah. Like what are some things coming up for Maria? Well, you know what? Before we get to that, I did want to ask Maria a couple of things about women. Clients, clients that have that are inmates. Mm -hmm. One of the things I thought about, <clears throat> and I just want to get your reaction, because mm -hmm. I've heard from a lot of women and men and audience members, and they 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 love the show Orange Is the New Black, but you're somebody who actually lives the reality, sees it. What's your what? What do you do? You deal with that? Do they do the inmates actually like that show? And they're like, "Oh, Orange is the New Black is the best comedy on Netflix." Well, how, what is going on there? Well, first of all, Orange is the New Black does not depict the way women are in jail or in prison, not at all. Boom! Boom. It's like Oz doesn't Boom. depict it. It's all fake shit. Not Why? What's wrong with their depiction? Why is it inaccurate? Well, number one, uh, you don't have deputies that come kick it in a client's cell. Right. And sit on the bed and have a conversation. Right. No, that doesn't happen in real life. Right. Um, there's different rules when you're in prison than when you're in county. Different rules. Right. Um, it's just, altogether, it, it's just not real. So, although I will say that the last season of that show yeah there were a few episodes that actually portrayed certain things where i had text one of my coworkers, and i was like why do i feel that we had undercover clients because it was just to the t so which you, is weird so maybe the show had people that were informing or telling them giving them some straight dope on what yeah. it's like in a, in a, in a prison for yeah. women but from the very beginning of that season, it, it it does not depict the way. Do you think it does a service or a disservice to women that are incarcerated, the show? That show in particular? Yeah. I think it does a disservice. Because? Because, again, it doesn't portray the way what women really go through and real life story things that they're suffering. How some of most of them don't even have five, two cents on their books you know most of them don't have anybody on the outs because most of their people are also incarcerated you know <clears throat> where they have somebody that comes out and drives three to five hours on a saturday to come and have a conversation with them on a the phone through a glass wall for 30 minutes 
That just doesn't happen. So from your perspective, it trivializes. Yeah, it glamorizes like, oh, it's cool to be in jail. It's cool to be in prison. You know, I got all these perks. Oh, I could start my own line of panties and, you know, get paid for them. You know, no, that shit don't happen. No, it doesn't. You know what's interesting is that is that if you were to ask you about that show and you're like, man, it doesn't deserve to take a person out of it, man. All right, and you ask me about Oz, I'll be like, that shit don't work. Right? But maybe somebody who's never been there, who pays no part in it, like maybe like, let's say a Sean, would be able to be sit back and be like, yeah, that's a great probably, show. Probably isn't like that in real life, but there's a comedy I'm watching based on it. Who gives a fuck? No. I mean, that's. But I don't see Orange is the New Black as a comedy. Right, it's it's somewhere in the middle ground. Yeah, and you know what, hey, Steve, you make a good point, but I have, it's, but, it's, but 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 you know what, the way ideology works, it's the same thing with me. People are like, "Do you watch Suits?" I'm like, "No, motherfucker, I don't watch no Suits." Because that, that shit is fake. Huh? It, it ain't right. even real. It doesn't even go down like that. Right? They're like Law and Order, and I'm like, "No, you don't want to watch Law and Order with me." <laughs> You don't want me to sit there and object to all the shit that's going on in court because <laughs> right. I, I love right, Law and Order. Right, right, right. <laughs> so that's just naturally the way it goes. But what I was going to say is, is that while while it may seem like the audience member, it's the same thing with commercials. This is what I truly believe. This is why I kind of go with what you and Maria are saying. Like it does do a disservice because while audience members, either in commercials or shows that they claim they know are fake, think that they have a critical distance from it, and so it's not filtering into their construct their mental model of what they think is going on outside it does it does you can sit down and watch an entire 30 minute episode of something and say to yourself well i know it's fiction but the 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 information is getting passed down into your subconscious and it does create a sense of what you think are the base assumptions of whatever that reality that you're learning is. And if that wasn't true, they would never do commercials. So it's not whether or not you think you know it's real or not, it's whether you took the 30 minutes to be exposed to it. That's where the power comes from, that's what I think, like in my mind. So when you're dealing, and this is the other thing, a lot of people, they, they know a lot. There's a lot out there about male inmates and all that other kind of stuff. What is it that people don't understand about women who commit crime? What do they don't know? They don't know their real story of why they got there and what made them get there. And is there a difference between a woman criminal and a male criminal in your mind? Or well, I don't work with male criminals, but I would say that there is. And what would you say that is? The, what the difference is? Yeah. Well, the titles could be the same. And when I say titles, I mean, like, say, for example, a client walks in or a client is there because they're there trying to fight a murder case or the death penalty. You know, um, they have they have a title from wherever they are from, like whatever neighborhood they're from. OK, so when I mean by what's the difference, maybe in that aspect, there isn't because they have the same titles. Oh, well, you know. Miss, you know, she's a shot caller from San Pedro or she's a shot caller from Long Beach, you know. Um, so they have that title because, you know, when you go into a men's facility, there's shot callers, right? Mm -hmm. But there's a tier. So it's like this is a shot caller and these are the soldiers. Right. And 
women's, well, I don't work in the prison. I work in the county jail. So we don't have that. I don't, I've never heard that mm-hmm. where it's like, it's always like, well, you know, she's a shot caller, but it's not like she's got shol- soldiers that work under her. Mm-hmm. So the crimes could be the same. You know, there's a lot of women that I work with, um, that I interact with that, have committed some like whoa like no way like i can't believe that has a woman ever come in like sometimes i see some women that are uh arrested and 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 they're just as strong as a man you look at Mm -hmm. them and you're like okay i can see you did some damage Mm -hmm. have you ever seen a small slight woman come in and then you read her jacket and you're like holy jeez you did all that okay so bringing that up I personally don't like to read what my clients are there for because that creates a biased opinion for myself. Interesting. Um, I don't want to come to a client after I've read, you know, what they're there for and be like, I don't want to deal with this woman. Like, how dare she, like, beat the hell out of her one-month-old son and now he's dead. I don't want to deal with that because I won't be able to do my job. So I personally don't ever read their records. I don't go. Their C file. Yeah. I don't go and look at their files. Now, I would imagine as a counselor that you would be dealing with a lot of people who have addiction issues but are also borderline. Borderline personality disorders, you know. Oh, yeah. Mental health. We deal with a lot of dual diagnosis. A lot of women that come to our module might be coming from yellow jackets, which what we call yellow and blues, which is mental health. And I would think that, like, when you're having some conversations with some of them, let's say they want to open up 25%, right? Yes. Because that doesn't mean they want to open up 100%. No. So they open up 25% and the conversation starts to get intimate and or, which could be dangerous, right? Have you ever felt like your safety was threatened because you were pushing in a direction to try to get inside or to help somebody process something and the conversation just got too real and they wanted to fight you or they got upset? Okay, so um, I have personally never taken a discussion with the client if it's a one-on-one to the point where I felt like, oh, I need a deputy to come and step in. Mm -hmm. Um, And again, every facilitator is different. Um, I don't try to come in as like, yeah, I'm a badass and I've been out there and I'm from the hood. and No, I don't do that. But I think because I come in and I have a strong personality, like the clients are like, oh, we ain't going to fuck with her. Or I get a lot of like, miss, you know, miss, you're all heart, you know. I get that a lot. Or, you know, that's the veterana, you know. You don't fuck with her, you know. You give her respect, which I get a lot of. So I have never personally had a client where I felt that I feel threatened. But that's because you're you're walking a, a, a very... You're, you're walking very carefully through some conversations because you yes. know there are some trigger moments. Yes. So, again, when I'm speaking to a client and it's one-on-one conversation and I have the clients that are just sitting there and they're like, I don't know what the fuck you want to talk about because I ain't going to tell you shit. You know, <laughs> and they'll just sit there. I'm like, okay, number one, there's no cussing in this module. So let's put that out there. And number two, I'm good with you just sitting there. 
And if you don't want to talk, we don't have to talk. I'm going to do my notes. And if you're ready, then we'll have a conversation. In that scenario, because that's the exact scenario from Goodwill Hunting. Remember, they, oh. they, send, they, send, they send Matt Damon to, uh, what the fuck is that guy? Robin Williams. They send him to the thing because he's going to go to jail if he doesn't get a therapist to help him figure out his anger issue, right? And he comes in, Matt Damon comes in with attitude and says, I'm not, and so there's like a period of time, like it, it was like a couple weeks in the movie where he just came and sat down at the appointed time and Robin Williams was like, just waiting. Have you done that? Like you just, just. Yeah. And then when, is there an, do you have an interesting story about when someone finally cracked and was like, all right, what do you want to talk about? Or like, how did they break the silence? Well, sometimes it's just, so when you're in a jail setting, you know, a lot of these women are familia, you know, they start interacting with one another. So what I get a lot that I hear and a lot of clients do tell me is like, oh, you know, everybody loves you the most. You're the favorite because you're down. Like, you know, what's up? Like you're from the hood. Like you, you understand us without even telling us anything about your life. Mm. So I get that a lot. Um, which I don't know if it's a good thing or a bad thing, but <laughs> I embrace it, you know, because right. I give them that respect. And I tell everybody, I respect you if you respect me. Now, if you want to get down, I ain't got time for that because I've been there and done that. And I always tell them, I ain't, I ain't here to dilly dally. All right. So we're going to do this. I'm here to help you. If you don't want to talk, don't talk. So going back to your question, um, I had a client who for a while would just sit in front of me and I'd be like, so how are you doing today? And she'd be like, mm -hmm, yeah. I couldn't hear her. So I'd be like, okay, I hope you don't mind. I'm going to move a little forward because I can't hear what you're saying. And I'm like, so what's going on? How are you feeling today? How's How was your weekend? And I'm like, shit. And so then I'm like, okay, you know what? Fine. Here's a journal book. Why don't you start journaling? And then I'll just read your journal when you're done. So that's how we started breaking the ice. A few weeks went by and finally one day she sees me walking into the module and she's like, I need to talk to you. And I was like, in my head, I'm like, yes, finally, right? It's yeah. been like weeks. Yeah. So I'm like, what's up? And she's like, oh, I need to talk to you outside, you know, in the outdoor rec where they play basketball. And so I'm like, all right, let's do this. Right. You know, and I'm like, shit, you know, like, is she going to jump me or what? Right, dude, she got a razor blade. So and a I'm like, okay, cool, whatever, right? So then we walk outside and we sit down. I'm like, what's going on? Everything cool? She's like, I just want to tell you how much I appreciate you giving me the space that I need because I don't trust anybody. Right. So the fact that you gave me that space and told me how much you respected me, I see that. I see that you are all about respect, that you are a woman of your word. Mm -hmm. And then from there on, it's just been a beautiful, it's been beautiful because she's opened up. She's able to express herself. We talk about her marriage. We talk about the loss of her child. We talk about her family. We, you know, she's like, you, I'll never forget the first day we sat together. She always brings that up. And you told me, I'm not going to push you. And if you don't want to talk, we don't have to talk. 
And ever since then, I always tell everybody, I hope you get her as your facilitator because she's the down-ass facilitator. So to me, it's all about the respect. I respect the boundaries. I give them the utmost respect with no judgment. And I tell them this on a daily, consistent basis in groups. I'm not here to judge you because you're human and I'm human. And I've done my stuff, but hey, it's not about me right now. We're here to work on all of you. So yeah, I've had those stories where, you know, but she, um, and she's still my client. She's been there for a long minute now, still fighting her case, but it took me a long time. Some of them will just throw up all over you the first minute you meet with them because they just have so much that they're like that. But, but she, that doesn't also, but that doesn't necessarily mean that they're being intimate either. No. Right? No. I've had the experience of dealing with people where they tell you things that would shock a normal person and you think like, oh, that's intimate. And then you find out after like six months, it's actually one small little thing mm -hmm. that they haven't talked about yet. Yeah. Right? Yeah. I get that a lot too. That's your question. When, so most people would be intimidated by the job that you do, meaning that, and yes, you've had some, some, some training or whatever, but even those people that have gone through the training would have difficulty, you know, breaking the ice and doing what's necessary to have these conversations. But are there social settings where you're intimidated might not be prison probably isn't right not jail but it might be like oh i walk into a place like this and it's hard for me to communicate or break the ice because i'm intimidated but what intimidates you not knowing not being comfortable with my surroundings so when you go into a new place like a podcast and mm -hmm. you're not quite sure what we're going to talk about mm -hmm. and who's going to say what and what we're going to expect you to do, mm -hmm. that's when you start to feel a level of anxiety about like, uh, I don't know what this is. Yeah, I don't know if I can make it. I'm really busy. Yeah. <laughs> right, right, right. That's interesting, I think. Sean, what intimidates you in s social settings that intimidate you? Um, I, You know, I'm... Meeting new people that I, you know, I don't know what they think about me and all kinds of stuff. Being, uh, being drowned out, not being, you know, a part of the group that I'm with or whatever. Um, lots of stuff. Mike, I mean, what intimidates you besides Maria? Besides Maria? Not, I mean, just I being, getting, getting comfortable. I mean, just going into a new atmosphere, you know what I mean? And just... Knowing, being knowledgeable about it, not and then what intimidates me is not knowing, because it's like I'm yeah, but guys, I mean, uh, you, you, what intimidates you, Steve? Nothing. <laughs> listen, you'd me, be intimidated of him. Cooking. Look at how he looks. Nah, no, listen. You know what? No, listen. Everybody's everybody's got everybody's got situations or settings. Like you want to know what intimidates me? Sure. Sometimes. <clears throat> Stepping into a courtroom, even mm. though I know the rules and I know what's going on, there's an element where it's to chance and I've prepared as best I can. Mm. And then I've got to stand up there and I'm the one that's responsible. The shit fucks up. My clients can only be like, well, my lawyer's a piece of shit. 
right? But I got to take that on if I want to make that lawyer money. I got to take that on if I want to call myself. So that does intimidate me. Now, just because I'm intimidated doesn't mean I don't do it. Mm-hmm. But I was talking to Marie about the fact that she's dealing with women in these situations which would intimidate a lot of people. They wouldn't know how to break the ice. So I'm asking you. You're a great okay. ice. It, you're a great a, okay. icebreaker. I got the one. Go. I'm intimidated when I have to go to like a swimming pool or setting where I got to take my socks off because I got ugly feet. That's the only time I'm intimidated. <laughs> I got some busted ass feet, so I'm intimidated because <laughs> I know I'm gonna get clowned or people are gonna be looking at my feet. That's the only time I'm intimidated. <laughs> Next. <laughs> Would you be So you're intimidated by people clowning on you? My feet. Just put your feet in the water, Doc. What well, else he's you taking gonna, what else gonna clown me on? Well, no, no. So it is clowning. You're right, Sean. He's he's got everything else covered. He's got everything else covered. He's got the muscles, the tattoos, the look, the tight, and everything. So no one's gonna from head to about ankle. Right. <laughs> nobody's gonna talk shit. But you're right, Sean. Well, he maybe is, calf. Maybe head a little to, calf. Head to calf. Yeah, yeah I know. They call me about the chicken legs, yeah, too. Yeah, a little, yeah a little bit of calf. But you can see right, even right here, is a little, there's a little bit of an edge there. You see that? I get intimidated going to court. And I'll tell you, I'll be honest with you. Um, being, in, <clears throat> I get intimidated also uh, in business situations where I haven't been before. With like high level people that I don't know. Really? Yeah. Because uh, I think you're like one of the smartest cats out there. I would think yes, a lot of are. people get intimidated when you walk in the room. And I uh, like that. Well, I'll tell you what. Uh, I've crafted, first of all, I put in a lot of work to, Damn, to intimidate people. Right? I put in a lot of work. I, the lifting the weights, the education, the mouth, all that stuff. Right? right. The hair. Right. Uh, an ethnic aspect that the you don't hair. really know. Yeah. You know, when you walk into business situations and you're a lawyer and you have long hair and you look somewhat Indian, it's a little intimidating because that's not a that's not something you're normally used to dealing with. Right. You're used Very to the true. bulldog attorney. You're used to the short haired schnebby attorney. You're used to the nerd attorney. The high and tight attorney. Yeah. The high and tight. But you the Indian. The Indian attorney that comes in with long hair, but it's that it just throws you off, and um, and then of course, and I think you've probably seen me do it, Steve, where like I'll throw out a few phrases depending on which group I'm in, to let them know like, oh yeah, he's well read. Oh yeah, brother, right? I love that. I love what he does. That like not too All much. All of a sudden, their ears get like a Doberman. Totally. They're like they start wiggling and they look totally. at him and they're like, totally. oh, they get a whole new shade. They come at him a whole new direction after he kind of like deals out a little bit and sometimes it's like not even like a uh like a high like a highfalutin word sometimes it's a code word within the group that they're in to let them know like i am not so outside i don't know, understand what's going so <laughs> what i good at that shit. what's cool when you can art they, they know you can articulate a <clears throat> sentence and you have their vernacular they kind of trip out they bug out because i've been in the same situation like that and i just lay back in the cut and all of a sudden like oh, so what's going on and I'm doing sound engineering too. And the guys were like, they're on little group mm-hmm. and starting like, Oh, okay. What are you running? XLR. So I just talking, just tech stuff. And they're like, who are you? I'm like, don't mind me, dude. Just like, I do the same thing you do, bro. It's like, let's get down. And it's that when you're in that group, they have a certain facade that I'd say, okay, you look like this. That means you do that. And like you walk in, you ain't suited and booted. And then you come in and you do your game and how you run it. That's what's dope. And people are like, well, you don't look like a lawyer. Well, what's a lawyer supposed to look like? What's the Indian supposed to look exactly. like? Exactly. <laughs> and that's the beauty of it. It's like, yo, man, just I knock you off your shelf, bro, if you let me to. So yeah, that's why I thought it was interesting to go around and find out what we're intimidated by. So 
so yeah, and all those layers though, it's partially because I'm intimidated. Otherwise, why would I need the layers, right? And I gotta buy some space. I mean, I, you know, that's I think that's just normal part of human interaction. But I was just kind of curious as to for Maria. Like, you know, she said she was a little intimidated about the podcast because she just wasn't sure where, where we were going. What was this? What was it going to be about? And what, what did we expect from her? You did great. Yeah. yeah and great. you are a, you are a warrior. A warrior. You really are. You are I just, uh, like I said, just a strong woman. One thing I'm not intimidated by which I guess a lot of men would go, oh, I'm not intimidated. I'm not intimidated by a strong, powerful, intelligent woman at all. And you are one. And um, Hold on a second. Awesome. I found an article here. The title is Steve Luciano, a.k.a. Oh Big Lucky, Street Apparel Visionary. Yeah, who wrote that? <laughs> yeah, yeah. Yeah, 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 yeah. So I... Hold on, hold just okay waiting in in a little mexican eatery on washington boulevard in la steve luciano known to close friends as big lucky walked through the door straight towards me just the name alone is intimidating right he walked in with a great big smile on his face and i was like a kid in a willy wonka movie just waiting to ask him all the questions i had for him in all our prearranged meetings Steve didn't mind, so I cut to the chase and started with, so what are you working on right now? And you know what? We've come full circle because here yes. it is. Big Lucky is interviewing <laughs> Maria. Mm-hmm. What are you working on right now? Hmm. Okay, so uh, I used to work for an orga- a nonprofit organization that works um, with documentary filmmakers. Um, and at that time... Well, during my position there, I was attending a lot of film festivals. Bless you. Thank you. I was attending a lot of film festivals, going to a lot of different mixers, um, you know, all over back and forth from Southern California um, to Morelia, Michoacan, which is in Mexico. And um, it, it really inspired me, you know, and I was on a screening panel, so I would screen a lot of these documentaries that people wanted to enter for different film festivals. And then one day I was just like, why am I not working on a documentary? You know, why am I not doing something, you know? And then I started talking to Mike about it. And then he's like, well, what is something that you're passionate about? What is something that you know? And something that is in my backyard. I mean, that it's part of my culture. I grew up around it. Um, and it's something something that I, I feel very strong about, which is Girls and Gangs. That's the title of the documentary. Yeah, Girls and Gangs. Moving forward, um, when I started thinking about doing this documentary, I started doing a lot of research. I was uh, interviewing a lot of females, but then life got in the way. Um, I went through my own struggles, my own tribulations. I was fighting myself, my own demons, and I stopped. Um, You know, I was really heavy into my addiction. Moving forward, um, when Lucky started doing all these beautiful things, he inspired me. 
it was like he's an inspirational guy he is he really is he is he's my familia man he's inspired me in so many ways he and i this guy right here lucky he's the fire that makes it all happen he is i know you are that's why i love this guy i love this guy so do we yeah i got the good people in the room right now all you guys right here so moving forward um I had sent him a text and I was like, yo, I'm like, you have like lit, you put this fire inside my heart where I'm just like, I really want to do my documentary now. Like I, like that's all I want to do to the point where I was like, I don't know, I'm even thinking of quitting work and I just, I want to do this. Right. But Hey, I'm a grown up now. So I gotta be, you know, um, I got to do what I need to do. So moving forward, um, I'm going to start uh, working back on my documentary, which is the title is called Girls and Gangs. Love it. Um, And it's just that, you know, it's women that are either still involved in in the neighborhoods, which is their own families to women who have struggled women who have been born into it, you know, where I hear that a lot working where I work. Um, Women don't have another choice. I just did an intake and, you know, um, she's, she's not a gang member, but like she told me, miss, I'm, I was born into it. My father is the president of a big chapter in a different country, nonetheless, you know? So it's like, I didn't have a choice to say like, no, I don't wanna be involved or associated with, you know, gangs. I was born into it, so I have no choice. This is who my family is and this is how it's going to be. So, so yeah, so that's what we're working on. And um yeah. I love it. That to me, that's just uh, such an, an incredible project because I think people just don't understand women generally. This society just doesn't understand women at all. I mean, there's a huge woman movement in certain ways in this country, but it's all commercialized and stuff. Like I really don't think we understand women, and I don't think we. And I'm not saying it to put men down either. I'm not. I'm not saying that either because I believe that we don't understand men very well either. Well, also, yeah, like women, women with violence, with like a violent history or violent, you know, get, coming from a gang culture, is so contradictory to like what we associate with women. Hundred percent. So you put they totally women, don't understand that. And you put women in these categories, and it dehumanizes them in a way because then you think like, well, they can't commit sexual offenses and they can't commit violent offenses because mm-hmm. women don't do that. But it's right. a bunch of bullshit. Right. It is. Because they do commit sexual offenses. They do commit violent. And then sometimes I'm shocked at the stories that these women tell me because I'm just like, I can expect it from a man, but not coming from a woman. You can see where I would, um, where I would align with your point of view because I come from a, an opposite situation Mm -hmm. so i can see that women can be very very dangerous Mm -hmm. 
Yep, yep. I, I, I was I was working in San Francisco and I worked with a lot of male lifers that had gotten dates and gotten out of prison after, you know, primarily hot ones, you know. And uh, I was overseeing a sober living, female sober living as well. And I had about six or seven female lifers there that had gotten release dates finally and gotten out after doing, you know, 30, 35 years, 40 years in prison. And these women, some of their crimes were... I'll even go as far as to say, I mean, they really, I mean, some brutal, brutal stuff. Mm -hmm. Sometimes some of the, the crimes that committed by a woman, whatever, emotion or deep passion or whatever's involved were quite horrendous and, and violent acts, you know. Um, but but women are, as we know, women are run a little deeper than men in, in terms of emotionally and there's, you know, I, I believe that. And it just, it doesn't always look the same. You know, and uh, and sh and these women, just so you know, there were a couple of these women were tiny little 105 pound, 99 so pound women. And I was like, what? You did what? You know, so you, that's why you, you and Lepke always say you got to watch out for the small ones. Dynamite comes in small packages. <laughs> yes, it does. <laughs> but listen, listen, I, I, I tell you, this was a great show. Uh, Maria, show. I just. Thank you for your courage. Thank, Thank you for you. your work in the community. Thank you for caring about these people and helping these people that really do need this help and this guidance. And thank you for picking back up on your documentary. Um, and the world's going to thank you. And, and I'm just glad that you're you're on fire. You're doing it. Mike, thank you for just being a great husband to her and yeah. joining her on the show today. And just both of you, man, are just... Um, my tell, dear friends. He's got to tell us Rick James story. Oh, no, no. Not, not now, no. <laughs> no. They got to come back because I got to hear. The, the, listen, Mrs. Ed, uh, headphones, Mr. Headphones, you got to hear uh, Mike's Rick James story. <laughs> yes, we <laughs> absolutely will. Um, but thank you. Thank you both for coming down. Maria, um, we will make sure that we keep an eye out of things. We're going to have you back on again. Um, right, Chumon? Yeah, of course. And we'll have Mike back down here too to tell us Rick James stories. Word. And, uh, <laughs> yeah. Thank you guys. It was honor to be here, man. Thank you. All three It's an honor. Even though I was really nervous. And Robert in the cut over there. You didn't act it. <laughs> big Robert in the house. Yeah. Big Robert, Robert in the building. Uh, I'm going to tell you guys it's uh, adios amigos. Hasta la vista for today. Thank you for tuning in. Until next time, the Hard Luck Show. Wow. 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 wow.